Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You know, obviously, um, there'll be some speculations from talk about that. You know, I mean, it comes with the territory. Uh, it's to be expected. You know, um, you know, I got a lot of love for the Jets, um, the organization, and a lot of people that are still there that were there when I got drafted. So um, for me uh, in this team, it's, it's, you know, business as usual, another week to prepare and a tough challenge for us to go out there and, uh, you know, try and get this win we need it. Geno Smith, Seahawks quarterback, he and Coach Pete Carroll can commiserate on both being rejected by the Jets once upon a time. Carroll was the coach for one year. He was fired for Rich Kotite. So he's had a few cracks at the Jets since then. Geno gets his first when they come together at a time when the Seahawks are fading, the Jets are fading. Geno Smith's play has dipped in recent weeks. Both teams need this win to get or to keep, excuse me, their playoff hopes alive. Jets are favored by one and a half. Where are you leaning on this one, Peter? I kind of like the Jets, and I'll tell you why I like the Jets. Um, I think the Seahawks understand that, um, you, you know, and clearly when you play for Pete Carroll, every game is the championship game and all that stuff. But I think mentally they understand that, that a lot of their weaknesses have been plumbed by other teams. And I think right now the best single unit that will be on the field on Sunday in Seattle is the Jets' defense. And I just like particularly that pass rush to make Geno Smith uncomfortable, to perhaps force him into a couple of errors. Um, And I don't know how the Jets are going to score points, but I do think that in the passing game, they're going to be significantly better with a fairly healthy Mike White. And uh, I like the Jets on Sunday. Yeah, look, I would like the Jets if they were playing at home. I think it's tough to overcome the whole specter of the, the 12th man, and they understand they're up against it, and they haven't played well. And it just feels like one of these 
cases where Geno Smith and that extra little impetus from from being thrown overboard by the Jets and in hindsight, if they'd known, they would have kept him around. It's just an example of how maybe some of these guys, it's a clear example of how some of these guys who who get one shot, get a limited window and just kind of get forgotten about still have value. And Geno Smith clearly still has value. Uh, and Mike White coming back from that, that rib injury that knocked him out for a couple of games. It's just, it's just, you know, both are feeling dysfunctional right now. This is kind of the stage of the year where yeah. which team feels less dysfunctional. And to me, the Seahawks feel a little less dysfunctional and the home crowd and the noise and everything that goes with playing in Seattle will just give them the lift they need. But I don't have a whole lot of faith in either team making it to the postseason, regardless of what happens on Sunday. Bears at the Lions. Lions need a win to stay alive in the wild card race after getting thumped by the Carolina Panthers. Can they take care of business against the Bears team who has a quarterback who can do to the Lions what the Panthers running backs did last week? You know, it's obvious. It, it's it's easy just to say I'm taking the Lions, you know, because the Bears are on this long losing streak. And, and obviously it's to the Bears' benefit long-term if they lose, even though I don't think they will approach it that way. I think the one thing about the Lions that would concern me, particularly uh, playing just against Justin Fields, is that, you know, th- that was not a just an instamatic, uh, you know, a Polaroid photo last week in Charlotte. The Lions have been awful against the run all year. They're giving up 5.1 yards a carry, Mike. And so to me... I think the game plan on Sunday for the Bears and the reason why it's going to be another 100-yard game for Justin Fields is run it early, run it often, and don't stop running and try to keep the ball away from Jared Goff. Yeah, and look, the Bears keep things interesting. They're six-point underdogs in this game and something Sims pointed out a couple weeks ago. With Justin Fields, they're always a danger to cover that spread especially late. All it takes is one of these spectacular runs. He leaks out of the pocket, and he just explodes past everyone, and you put seven on the board. And they had a crazy, wacky, nutty game between the Lions and the Bears at Soldier Field earlier this year going back and forth. Back when the Lions were starting to figure out who they were going to become. They desperately need this one, though. Lions lose, and Washington wins this weekend against the Browns, and uh, the Lions are eliminated after making that late run. And there's good cause to be optimistic for your Bears fan even though this year is not ending well maybe next year they put enough pieces around Justin Fields that they can be a contender in the NFC uh, North or as a wild card team I mentioned the Browns and the Commanders Peter that's the next one on the docket here Carson Wentz is back Taylor Heineke's bench the Commanders are 7-7-1 and and if they win their final two games Browns this week Cowboys the next in a game that may mean absolutely nothing to Dallas Washington gets in at a minimum as the seventh seed. Yeah, I think the way I look at this one, Mike, is that I think Cleveland is an odd team right now because they're playing for a little bit different reason than many teams are. They're playing because they're trying to get miles on the odometer in the Cleveland offense, in the Stefanski offense, for Deshaun Watson. 
So they're playing this game as much to get experience for a very good quarterback in Deshaun Watson as they are anything else. So that's why I think I think this is going to be more of a high-scoring game than people might think because clearly uh, Carson Wentz is going to be throwing the ball a lot. I think Deshaun Watson is going to be throwing the ball a lot. And while there is some emphasis in Cleveland to try to get Nick Chubb the rushing title, it just seems to be a little bit too far out of sight. He's whatever, 195 yards behind uh, uh, behind uh, Josh Jacobs. And so I don't see that happening. I see them playing this game and playing the final game of the season against the Pittsburgh Steelers to try to get eight good offensive quarters on the board for uh, Deshaun Watson. What that means about who's going to win this game, I'd probably take Cleveland, surprisingly even though obviously Washington has more to play for. But I I think that this could be the first really good game we see Deshaun Watson play for the Cleveland Browns. Well, there definitely hasn't been one yet. And this is all extended preseason for 2023. Getting the rust off, getting him ready to go all in, minimal distractions. He's still got some of these off-field issues, including a trial that's likely to happen next year in the offseason for one of the remaining lawsuits against him. But no more suspension, no more time away from football. And next year, the Browns hopefully will see the kind of Deshaun Watson that we saw when he was with the Texans. Let's take a break. When we return, story of the week in the NFL, the Tua Tonga-Vailoa concussion. His younger brother weighed in on the situation as it relates to Tua's future. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. Tua Tagovailoa had his latest concussion this week. His younger brother, who plays college football at Maryland, had a comment yesterday via the Associated Press. Everyone has their opinion. My brother, I know he works hard. I know he has a family now. I want my brother to be safe. But at the same time, I know that he has a love and a passion for football. I feel like he's going to make the right decision. The biggest thing is staying safe. So that is something he has to prey on. I know when it comes down to it, he will make the right decision. I just feel like he's not going to stop playing football. I feel like every opportunity he has, he's going to try to play. I don't know. It's just go until the wheels fall off. That's the problem. There are certain wheels that are critical to the operation of the vehicle. Well, you would say all of the wheels are critical to the operation of the vehicle, at least the normal operation of it. And that's where we are right now with Tua. Chris Collinsworth said in Tua's first game back from the concussion he suffered against the Bengals, it was Steelers-Dolphins on a Sunday night, He asked Tua during a production meeting, do your parents want you to stop playing football? And his response was, I don't know. Well, whatever concerns they had then are only going to be heightened when he has his latest concussion. And he's not getting hit in the helmet by a helmet or a forearm or a knee. He keeps hitting his head on the ground. Peter, the physics don't favor a guy who is smaller than the average quarterback. You get pulled down to the ground. Your, your head whips into it. And that's what we've seen three times from Tua this year. So it is very concerning for his long-term health and future and safety. And I, 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 I don't know what the right thing to do is. You know, people have been raising the question this week, should he shut it down for the rest of the year? 
Well, if you're cleared, why would you? The broader question is, do you shut it down for good? And that's only a question that he can answer unless and until the NFL mechanism, and this is a point I've been making this week, at some point the NFL machine decides we can't have this two or three times a year to a Tonga-Vailoa concussion, and everybody's talking about it, and there's all this focus on head injuries. We, we, we can't have that. We just can't have that. And that would be wrong to basically shun him over it, but I feel like that's where it's heading. You know, Mike, I think as we sit here on December 30th um, in you know the late stages of the regular season in 2022, it's one of those things that you and I can sit here and to discuss this and try to digest it. And I think the common sense approach is to say, too much head trauma for one year. And whatever Tua can get a, a noted, good, whatever neurologist to say, shouldn't it be the common sense approach to say that he shouldn't play football anymore this year and he should go into a period where, you know, he just settles down, takes a long winter's nap, and basically uh, continues to do what the smartest neurologists in the world tell him to do. And then let's revisit this on about March 15th. See how he is. See what all the tests show us and all that. Because I just know there are so many guys who now are having major problems who, and again, look, the 80s were a different time in the NFL where there weren't concussion spotters upstairs. But what I'm saying is guys who had every marble that they were born with uh, while they were playing football and then retired and everything was fine. A few years later, all of a sudden, things aren't fine. So I think I would say, if I, and Mike McDaniel, I, I, I really feel, started to say this the other day that, you know, this is not a time for Tua to be thinking about playing football. He just needs to rest you know, however McDaniel's termed it, McDaniel termed it, that he's right. This is a time for Tua Tonga-Valoa to take it easy and to just let things settle down after getting three very significant head hits in this season. What, what I struggle with is on one hand, I believe that the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness allows us to make bad decisions with our own lives, whether it's jumping out of airplanes, riding motorcycles without helmets, rock climbing, chain-smoking cigarettes, whatever the yeah. case may be. We all have an inalienable right to screw up our lives if we choose to do so. And Tua, on one hand, should be allowed to play football whenever, however, wherever he wants, as long as he can get the medical clearance. The broader question for the NFL, and it became existential a decade ago, do we want to have concussions be such a focal point that parents won't let their kids play football? And the problem with Tua, and the juxtaposition, Peter, is Tua and Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett's had two concussions this year. Kenny Pickett isn't a guy that the Today Show wants to talk about when he has a concussion. For whatever reason, however it happened, it just happened. When it's Tua, it's a huge deal. When it's Tua, and I think because of the combination of what happened against the Bills, and they still insist to this day it wasn't a concussion. Yeah, right. And then the Thursday night game against the Bengals when he was playing and shouldn't have been, and we saw the 
the fencing posture and the stretcher. And it just it created a critical mass that you can never separate to a Tonga Vailoa from concussions. And any time he has one, it's going to be a big deal. That, to me, is where, as I said earlier, the football machine is going to hope and root that the guy chooses not to play and then hope and root that doctors won't let him. And then if worse comes to worse, there's just not going to be a job for him. It's going to be what happened to Colin Kaepernick in a completely different context where I think the end game here, if Tua chooses to keep playing and keeps having concussions, at one point it's going to be one too many and he's not going to find employment in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I just I just think right now one of the things that even taking everything you say into consideration, uh, and you're right, Tua happens to be, uh, you know, at the time he got hurt, the team was hot as blazes, uh, and and everything was on the up and up. The Dolphins were the young, growing, explosive team of this year. So if their quarterback has two head incidents in a five-day span, then that is going to get a lot of attention. And I think now what what I would do, you know, and I'm glad that the NFLPA has requested, uh, you know, a deeper look into this because, Mike, we saw the play in the second quarter where Tua's head snaps back and hits the ground. And look, I am not impugning the character, intelligence, uh, anything, or the efficacy of these spotters, okay? But I want you to watch this play almost for anybody, <coughs> but clearly for Tua Tonga-Valoa, who's had a lot of problems. And watch. I mean, if you isolate on him, which you clearly can do right here, that has to be looked at. You know, he's got to come out of the game at that point and have his head looked at again. And, you know, I, and again, I don't mean to say that anybody did a bad job here. But you've just got to be more cognizant of players who have had significant issues. And when you see that, you can't say, ah, well, normal football play. You say, wait a second, time out, get him on the sidelines, get Bridgewater in for as long as it takes. We need to look at Tua Tonga-Valoa, and we need to do a significant exam. Peter, you're far more diplomatic than me. I'll say it. Somebody screwed up. Somebody failed to do their job, and they should be ashamed of themselves. And I think of things I heard John Madden say back when he was retired but still very much involved and at the forefront of protecting players. He would be livid when there was an incident. Case Keenum, remember that when he was with the Rams in Baltimore. There was another player, defensive yeah. back for the Chargers, where it was clear he should have been out of the game. And no one bothered to do anything about it. And John Madden's attitude was, if these people aren't going to do the job, find somebody else who will do the job. Because this is a fairly important job to be spotting this. And the way the NFL tries to stick handle its way around the issue is to say, as Dr. Alan Sills told NFL Network this week, they look for the brain trauma and the associated injury behavior, which with Tua... You don't need associated behavior. And, oh, by the way, we saw associated behavior back in week three, and nobody did anything about it then by way of keeping him out of the game. When you have a guy who has hit his head against the ground twice this year and had a negative reaction to it, he hits his head against the ground, that should be enough to at least look at him. And the bigger issue I have, Peter, is how does a day go by? And it's not until the coaches are watching the film the next day 
that somebody recognizes something wasn't right. With all those people employed by the team, with all those individuals, with access to social media where the video was making the rounds, how does it take that long for the light bulb to go off over someone's head? And I'll tell you this, and Sims made the point yesterday, you can't see it on the TV copy, but Sims is absolutely right. On the coach's film, you see one or two offensive linemen urgently move toward Tua after he struck his head on the ground. What was said on the sideline? How are the players properly empowered? We saw what Nelson Aguilar did. Watch here. Watch a couple of the guys start moving toward him. The guy there that was at the 40-yard line, he starts going right toward Tua. I suggested yesterday, Peter, there should be one person on each sideline who is there solely for being someone any player can go to and say, I think you should take a look at Tua or whoever, where you can just go up to them and that's what they're there for because – you know, you know what the sidelines like. Everybody's got a job to do, and everybody's focused on it. And you have to pierce through that. I'm trying to do my job here. Well, why not have somebody whose only job is to be that person that a player can go to and say they should be checking out our quarterback? That I that something like that needs to happen to keep situations like this from falling through the cracks as they seem to do from time to time. Well, the question is, Mike. How many people are you going to assign to this? I mean, you now have two people upstairs who are watching this. And theoretically, you've got, uh, you know, a trainer and medical medical people on the sidelines. I mean, at some point, as you say, you've got to ask the people whose job it is to watch for things like this to do a better job. And when I say I'm not impugning the character or whatever they clearly miss this, okay? So what I'm saying is you have to err more on the side of caution than currently you are erring. And again, I think there are going to be some coaches who are going to say, said, well, you know, you can't be taking guys out willy-nilly all the time just because, you know, they got a hard hit on the ground or something. Yes, yes, you do. You do. You know, if you want to be able to sleep at night and have a good conscience about this sport, you have to take plays like that and you have to react, you know, in the moment. You can't react a day later. And the overriding goal is to avoid second impact syndrome when someone who has a concussion is allowed to keep playing and gets a second one, and it's a proven medical fact, it can cascade into a horrible outcome up to and including death that's what the nfl is trying to avoid and uh let's focus on the game just briefly because now teddy bridgewater's in for the dolphins against the patriots loser is done we saw what the patriots or excuse me what the dolphins did earlier this year when tua wasn't playing that offense doesn't operate the same way do you have faith in teddy to be able to go into gillette stadium on the road and get a win against the patriots i do Uh, because I look at the Patriots right now and I see a really dysfunctional offense, um, a mistake-prone offense, and, you know, whatever, uh, you know, uh, support this week that Ramondre Stevenson got. Ramondre Stevenson, two weeks in a row, has made horrible plays at huge moments for his team. 
the Patriots basically lost the last two games in part because of either physical or mental decisions. And again, in part, I'm not saying they lost it because of these, but they lost in Vegas and they lost to the Bengals at home because of either mental or physical decisions or actions by Ramondre Stevenson. You know, in starting the lateral play or fumbling uh, inside the 10 when the Patriots are going in to win that game. So, but, but that is what the Patriots have become. They become a team that makes the huge mistake at a bad time. Now, that's not necessarily going to happen on Sunday, but I would rather place my faith in an offense that has explosive players and a good, but not great, quarterback. Uh, you know, one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league. I'll place my faith in Teddy Bridgewater, Tyreek Hill, and Jalen Waddell. Well, we'll see how it plays out for those two teams on Sunday. The Vikings and the Packers get together in a fairly significant game. Late day, Sunday afternoon. We'll talk about that one when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. And he don't jump in no super suit and get dressed and jump outside, you know what I mean? I don't either, sometimes. But, you know, like, he human, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it ain't, you know, we ain't putting too much on it on nobody's really good receiver by the end of the day. I'm a really good corner. We got really good corners. We got really good, you know, linebackers. So, hey, D-line, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, you don't want to put too much focus on that one person because, like, first game, that was a fluke. What? Jair. Jair Alexander, the first game of the year when the Vikings won their only game of the year by more than one score. Justin Jefferson, was a, it was a fluke? How do you call that a fluke? Justin Jefferson has been fluking all year long, if that's the case. I just don't know. And we see that every once in a while, Peter. And, you know, Justin Jefferson will say it doesn't mean anything. And it's not like, how much better can he play? But why would you, why would you agitate a guy who even when he's Why would mellow, you poke the bear? Will, 
Of all the Bears in the NFL, a guy who's a legitimate MVP candidate who is threatening Calvin Johnson's single-season receiving yardage record, why would you poke that bear? Hey, look, you know, I just looked it up. He's had 10 100-yard games. He's made the catch of the century in Buffalo. Um, He's made plays to help win impossible games like against the Colts uh, and 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 against the Bills. And he's played his best when the best has been required. Um, that was not a fluky game in the first game of the season. And I sincerely doubt, and again, I don't know what the weather is in Green Bay on Sunday, but I sincerely doubt that this is going to be the kind of game that Justin Jefferson gets shut down. Because look, <clears throat> Mike, He's been held under 50 yards four times this year in whatever, 15 games. So, you know, unless K.J. Osborne has a 300-yard day on Sunday, Justin Jefferson's going to play a big role in this game. Kickoff temperature, mid-30s, no precipitation. Uh, and uh, I don't see what the wind is. But the, wait, wait, let's check out the wind. The wind will be... Uh, under 10 miles an hour. So weather should not be a factor in that Vikings-Packers game. Packers need the win to stay alive for the seventh seed. Vikings need to continue to fend off the 49ers for the two seed and also keep their very slim hopes alive for the number one seed. They'll know by kickoff, though, whether or not the Eagles have finally clinched the one seed. But even then, Peter, this team does not want to go to Levi's Stadium to play the 49ers in the divisional round. I was there three years ago. And I think the 49ers are actually better top to bottom now than they were then. And the Vikings just stepped into a buzzsaw. And not that I'd feel good about the Vikings playing the 49ers at home, but at least you get Brock Purdy inside U.S. Bank Stadium and maybe you can rattle him just enough to maybe make a difference. But it's critical that the Vikings win this game and stay ahead of the 49ers. So even though the Vikings have the division title one and we're going to see them in the postseason, this game means a lot to both teams. And I I think Jair Alexander made a a mistake stirring up Justin Jefferson because, uh, you know, he went off the first time around and now he's going to feel compelled to go off again to prove that it wasn't a fluke. It's that simple. I think the other thing about this game that is really interesting is that, look, you know, let's be honest, the Packers were kind of handed one in the fourth quarter last week. Um, And, hey, everybody gets handed one in the course of a season. Everybody wins a game or two that looks like they shouldn't have won and loses a game or two that looks like they shouldn't have lost. But that's just the way football is. So nobody's apologizing. You're just simply stating a fact. Green Bay caught a break with the final three Miami possessions ending in awful interceptions last week. I think the one thing I would say about where the Packers are right now, and again, this is probably impacted a bit by the fact that we don't know if Christian Watson is going to be healthy in this game, whether he's even going to play in this game. But I do think what you saw last week, Mike, you saw how comfortable Aaron Rodgers is now throwing to to, uh, Aaron Lazard, Aaron Dobbs, and Christian Watson. So the longer he gets to play with these guys, the more comfortable he's going to be. You make a great point, okay, in that 
I, I don't think anybody wants to be the seven seed and have to go to San Francisco. I get that. And I think San Francisco is going to make a marauding run in the playoffs. However, however, I think Green Bay's got a heck of a better chance of giving San Francisco a game on Wild Card Weekend than Washington does. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Hey, I agree with you completely, and I've been saying this all year and even before the season. The Packers, to me, are more dangerous as a seven seed than as a one seed because as a one seed, they're tight and they're nervous and we have too much to lose. They get in as a seven seed. They won the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback 12 years ago as a six seed. You just let it go fly and you don't care about anything and you don't worry about anything, and the next thing you know, you're beating the teams that are tight and nervous and have things to lose. All right, we're losing time. We need to take a break. We'll return. Show me something draft for week 17. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Show me something draft. You know the drill. It's not necessarily someone who's under pressure. It's just something that we are looking forward to seeing. Somebody who's in a position to impress us. Peter, you're up first. Show me something, Aaron Glenn. You know, at the beginning of the year, I said that I thought the defensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions had a really good chance even with a good year, not necessarily a great year, of being a candidate for a head coach in 2023. He is very highly regarded around the NFL, a Parcells disciple. But what happened last week in Carolina is bad for Aaron Glenn in all ways. When a team runs for 320 yards against you for seven yards a clip, In a game that is a must-win for your team, that's bad. So, Chicago comes into Detroit on Sunday with Justin Fields, one of the best running quarterbacks in NFL history. Show me something, Aaron Glenn. Devise a defense to stop Justin Fields. Show me something, Mac Jones. And by that, I don't mean show me another temper tantrum on the field during the game because things aren't going your way. And don't show me another dirty play. And I'll say it, it was dirty taking out the knees of Eli Apple well behind the play in a clearly illegal low block for which he was fined. After multiple incidents earlier in his career where he wasn't fined and maybe should have been for things he did that crossed that line. Show me good, clean play. Show me operation within the confines of the offense and show me something effective because, Peter, in this quarterback carousel that is coming in March, there's always a chance Mac Jones is going to be thrust onto it by the Patriots. Show me something, and I'm going to name another coach right now, but show me something Steve Wilkes. Earlier in the year, the Carolina Panthers beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home And most people thought, ah, you know, kind of fluky. But now Carolina goes to Tampa with not only a playoff spot on the line this year, but also with the Carolina Panthers coaching job on the line for 2023. Show me something, Steve Wilkes. Show me another impressive defensive effort by your team and show me enough on offense to beat the great Tom Brady and to all but ensure that you win the coaching job for 2023 with the Carolina Panthers. 
Show me something Carson Wentz. And by that, I don't mean a left-handed throw while you're falling down in your end zone that Miles Garrett plucks out of the air for a walk-in touchdown. I mean something that makes me say, holy crap, not holy crap. Something that makes us think of Carson Wentz of 2017, the MVP candidate. Something that turns the clock back five years and allows the commanders to peek forward, possibly to a reunion game with Kirk Cousins in the wild card round, possibly a divisional round reunion between Carson Wentz and the Eagles. This is his opportunity. After all these weeks of watching Taylor Heineke, you, Carson Wentz, have a chance to come in and nail down a playoff berth, starting with a game against the Cleveland Browns. Show me something, Carson Wentz. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to show myself to the door. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll do round three when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, there are the picks so far in the Show Me Something draft for Week 17. Peter King, you are up with round number three. Show me something, Kenny Pickett. You know, this also is as big for 2023 as it is for 2022. Pickett has had some good moments for the Steelers. He had an excellent moment in the final minute of the game against the Raiders last weekend where he threw for the winning touchdown pass in a game that, you know, clearly nobody really thinks that the Steelers have a great shot to win it. I think the site 538 has it at 1.7% or something like that. But look, Steelers win two and the Dolphins lose two. Steelers are in, all but in. But I look at it, Mike, and I look at Kenny Pickett and I basically say, okay, look, Kenny Pickett, to me, has shown enough to have faith in him as the quarterback of 2023. I want to see it in the Mason-Dixon line border war between the Steelers and the Ravens on Sunday. Kenny Pickett, show me you can be great in this rivalry. Show me something, Joe Burrow, and I don't mean that in a negative way at all. I mean that in an I will have my popcorn ready because I believe in Joe Burrow. He rejects the notion that the Bills are a measuring stick game for the Bengals. The Bengals are the measuring stick. The Bengals are the danger. The Bengals are the ones who knock. And... The Bills are the ones who are going to come knocking on Monday night, and I think they're going to find out the hard way that in all this obsession about Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, Chiefs and Bills, we're forgetting the defending AFC champions. Joe Burrow is going to remind us all on Monday night. Show me something. Peter, Happy New Year. Great work as always. Everyone out there, have a safe weekend. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. We'll see you back on Monday morning. At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.